Welcome everyone, welcome, welcome. Here we are, it's Fired Up. This is Steve, your host, and each week we dive into the mechanics of politics right here on WJMSRadio.com. And it continues to be a busy and troubling week for the administration. Uh, First things first, though, as always, let's recap where we are with the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. We have more than 2.5 million uh, reported cases in our country, and over 125,000 people have died. Uh, Keep those numbers in your head. We're going to come back to those and talk a little more about them in relation to some of what we're going to talk about today. I want to get into you know, how we got here, how we got where we are. And uh, to, to start it off, let me kind of give a little bit of background. You know, in, in my professional career, I've been a project manager in charge of multiple teams. I've been a program manager, you know, responsible and accountable for, a, you know, achieving a company goal with a specific project. And I've been a safety manager uh, as well, being responsible for getting everyone employed by the company home safe every night and what I've got to say is if in the course of performing those duties that I had issued anywhere near the kind of misstatements uh, half-truths whole not-truths and other shall we say uh, stretching of reality that you know this administration has done as we talk about its handling of the coronavirus as well as some of the other things going on uh if, if that had been the case you know each of those companies would have very quickly handed me my walking papers and showed me the door so i say that to say uh looking at how uh, our administration has responded to covid19 the coronavirus and some other things uh, it is it is incumbent on us to look at that with a critical eye and determine whether or not we want to rehire these people for another term. You know, and we're going to we're going to talk uh, a little bit about that in the first segment here. But before I get started, I want to give one piece of uh, information. I want to give the, the station or the, the show's email address, and it is fired up radio at yahoo.com. Take a note of that or otherwise keep it handy because uh, as we get further into the show, you're going to see I want to uh, reach out to you all and we're going to have a little bit of a survey. So I'll, I'll give you more details on that in a few minutes, but I want to get into you know talking about the administration in general, uh, the president in particular, but you know the administration and just how this coronavirus fiasco has been made worse by the actions or lack of action that our current administration has taken you know and you know you you have to keep in mind that it's been uh, nearly six months since the coronavirus was first detected in the united states Uh, we recorded our first death uh, in mid to late march as i recall and since then, as we said earlier, we've grown to two and a half million cases and 125,000 people who have died. And throughout this time frame, uh, the administration's response has been marked with a series of denials, disputes, 
uh, false information, bad information, erroneous information, uh, all kinds of blame game being played uh, between Republicans and Democrats, between the U.S. and China and other countries, you know, all about shifting the blame and shifting the focus away from this deadly pandemic that has hit our country so that more attention can be focused on the economy, on the stock market, uh, on you know the things that that don't matter anywhere near the the value of 125,000 uh, American citizens. And keep in mind that the the infection rate has has risen again, continues to rise. Uh, just about every state in the union is reporting an, an increase in the number of of COVID cases uh, in their states, and at the rate we're going, it is probable, if not highly likely, that we will see 250,000, we will see a quarter million people that have died from this disease uh, by the end of this year. Uh, and, you know, all of that is, you know, preventable. And the scientists and the medical professionals are telling us this every day. We have the tools to slow the spread of the disease. Uh, there is work ongoing to identify a vaccine that will combat this disease. And, you know, we, we have it upon ourselves to really take control of our response. But let, let's talk a little bit about how the government has been responding. You know, and you, you only need to look back a few weeks to see a clear examples of just how much, in my opinion, that the administration does not care. And I say that with all sincerity. They do not care about the people. They care about their economy. They care about their stock portfolios. They care about how much money they make. Uh, they care about everything else except what needs to be done to keep Americans from getting sick and dying from this disease. They've taken a very soft approach on, you know, social distancing and masks. They have, you know, basically given the general public free reign to choose to do what they want. And I don't know about you, but when I go outside of my apartment, when I go out and about, I'm wearing a mask and I do it religiously. Just like when I get in my car to drive, I fasten my seatbelt. I do that religiously. Why? Because it protects me. It gives me added protection against the virus. So I follow those rules. I keep distance. I wash my hands frequently. I do the things that they have told me uh, are important in order to prevent getting the coronavirus disease. So what does is, what is our leaders do? Well. Uh, for one, the president has held two rallies, uh, one in Tulsa and one in Wisconsin. And at both of them, there were no social distancing and only a small handful of people were wearing masks. And this was, in effect, encouraged in so much as it wasn't discouraged by the people running the events. Now, you know, wisdom and, and intelligence would tell us that if we know for a fact that gathering together in large numbers and not wearing a mask and, you know, being in close proximity to people in a loud environment where people are shouting and shedding, you know, coronavirus particles into the air at a very high rate, that is risky. You risk 
a lot of people getting sick. And lo and behold, what are we beginning to see in the areas such as the Tulsa area and in the Wisconsin area where the rallies were held? We see an uptick in the number of cases being reported, as really you should expect, because again, you know, the people were not instructed or encouraged or required to do the things that need to be done in order to keep the general population safe. Now, you know, I've seen the interviews with people who don't wear their mask. They're saying, you know, it's their choice. It's my right. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. Well, okay, I kind of get it, but I don't. So, you know, if, if wearing a mask is such a big honking deal that you would rather not wear one and risk getting infected or infecting someone else because you don't care, well, I have a problem with that. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to hang around people who don't take their own health or the health of those around them seriously enough to do a simple thing like wearing a mask when you're out and among other people. You know, we've seen it time and time again during the course of this virus. You know, uh, Florida opened up and bars opened up and beaches opened up and they had spikes. And now Florida has recorded the highest number of cases in a weekend uh, since the outbreak of the of the virus. And in fact, the United States reported more than 40,000 new cases in one day. Which can be, in my opinion, directly tied to a lack of conscientious observance of the safety policies that keep people safe. And I'm sorry, I, I you know, if that, you know, upsets you, well, you're just going to need to be upset because this is ridiculous. Um, we would no more put our children in the backseat of a car that we were getting ready to drive without fastening them in to a safety seat or making sure they wear their seat belts. We take care of those of us that, that matter to us in everything else. Why do we not take care of them when it comes to the simple task of wearing a mask and staying a few feet away from other people and avoiding large groups? That's not really, in my opinion, that's not too much to ask to help keep people from dying. You know, we are headed toward a quarter million people to die in, by the end of this year unless drastic measures are taken. And those drastic measures are more and more of the population to practice the safety precautions that have been given to us. Yet, what do we get from our political leaders? Uh, we get uh, information from the president talking about uh, you know, how this, this uh, virus from China, uh, as he calls it, or Kung Flu, as he calls it, uh, is you know, either a half-baked story, uh, you know, a garbled message that you know, we, we, we've got it under control, um, you know, remember, back in, in January when the first cases were being reported coming out of China, uh, the president dismissed it. He said, well, it, you know, one or two cases, it's no big deal. It'll go away in the spring, etc., etc." He did not take this seriously at the time we needed to take it seriously. When this pandemic began spreading outside of uh, China, specifically when it hit Europe, 
and then began showing up on our shores in New York and Los Angeles and, and Washington State, that was the time that we needed to start ramping up our supply of masks, gloves, PPE, getting uh, ventilators distributed, basically prepping for what was likely to be a serious outbreak. You know, and you know, the, the vice president has, has been little better. You know, he has praised uh, the actions that the president has taken. Uh, and, and I quote from an article in the Washington Post from June 27th that quotes Vice President Pence as saying, uh, we have made a truly remarkable progress in moving our nation forward, quote Pence said, a few minutes after announcing that more than 2.5 million Americans had contracted the coronavirus. We've all seen the encouraging news as we open up America again. And then it goes on to say, later Friday, that same day, the United States recorded more than 40,000 new coronavirus cases, the largest one-day total ever. So, you know, we've been getting conflicting messages and half-truths and inconsistent uh, stories from the administration, from our leadership uh, throughout this pandemic. And there doesn't seem to be any sign that this approach is going to change anytime soon. Uh, the article from the Post goes on to say, uh, America's position as a world leader in coronavirus cases and deaths is in large part the result of human error, and the still rising caseload stands as a stark reminder of the blunders that have characterized the national response. Trump's actions and his positions in the Oval Office make him a central figure in any assessment of the country's handling of the outbreak. Uh, as the White House task force scaled back its meetings and stopped its public briefings in May and June, Trump seized the national spotlight and used it to shift the country's focus from the virus to an economic comeback he branded the, quote, transition to greatness, close quote. So it, it was clear from the leadership that, you know, they did not want to focus on the the doom and gloom of the coronavirus uh, pandemic day after day, that they wanted to get the country focused on getting the economy back open, on getting you know, the economic forecast back up to where they were pre-virus, and you know, basically to get the country back to making money. So you know, that was the driving force about, around much of what the uh, government, uh, not just the White House, but you know, the, the Senate and the House and, you know, leadership all up and down the line. You know, governors, several governors never uh, wanted to close their states. They wanted to keep them open. Uh, and it was only when, you know, extreme pressure was brought to bear on them by the public through the media that they, you know, uh, rescinded and in fact began to exercise some some state level controls and protocols in dealing with the coronavirus so you know this has been a a fiasco of our government's making we the people are the ones who are suffering you know as we've said 125,000 people 125,000 families have lost a loved one to this disease and the potential for a whole lot more uh, is is a real potential as the number of cases rise drastically in many states. 
at least 20 of the 50 states see levels of the virus higher than during the initial uh, run-up in the pandemic. And, you know, again, there's no sign of it leveling off anytime soon. Uh, we continue to see new cases spring up as people have spent more and more time now, you know, outside in large groups and in, you know, restaurants and bars, you know, and, you know, what has become of that is many governors who were championing, you know, getting their states back open or getting back to green, as it was called, uh, have now had to walk that back have now had to you know admit and recognize that they do need to uh, restrict their state's activities uh, in order to try and get this virus back in check now you know it, it it should go without saying that you know the the administration holds a lot of fault in this and it will be looked back on this by history and it will be looked back in, in history as one of the great failures in our government's leadership uh, when a crisis uh, uh, you know, appeared. Uh, it's not the first time. If we look back through you know, presidents uh, past, you know, we need uh, only go back to, of course, you know, Nixon had his Watergate and you know, the, the scandal and, and trauma the country faced around that. Uh, Reagan had, you know, his Iran-Contra affair where, you know, arms were sold to Iran to pay for an illicit funding of the Contra rebels uh, fighting in uh, Nicaragua. And, you know, Jimmy Carter had his Iran hostage fiasco uh, that cost him uh, to be just a one-term president. You know, um, George W. Bush had the fake run-up to the war in Iran for weapons of mass destruction that never materialized. You know, every president has had, you know, their, their moment of crisis. Uh, and how they responded to it has determined how fast the country healed from the wounds of that crisis. Now, what we're seeing here with this crisis is not only a, a lack of action on the part of our elected officials, but really uh, almost a dereliction of duty or responsibility uh, to, to take for any of the reason why this has been you know, as bad as it is and continues to be as bad. You know, White House, again, according to the article from the Washington Post, White House officials have battled for weeks over whether to hold the public coronavirus briefings, with some arguing instead to focus on other issues such as the economy. Now, COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus, is advancing at an accelerated pace in the United States, even as other countries reopen their economies after getting their outbreaks under control. European diplomats are poised to approve an agreement that will reopen the European Union to travel from many countries, but not American tourists, because the coronavirus is still raging in the United States. So, you know, we are, are becoming, you know, essentially unwelcome or personas non grata in, you know, Europe because we have failed to keep the coronavirus efforts going and, you know, lower this disease uh, to a manageable and controllable level. You know, in, in saying, you know, the epidemics are going to be hard to get under control, according to Scott Gottlieb, the former commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration and an informal advisor to the Trump administration. He said he expects 
risks death to climb to more than a thousand per day again soon. It's going to continue to spread until you do something to intervene. I'm not sure we are taking enough forceful action to break the trend right now. And that lines up with what we're seeing in the states around the country and how, you know, the response to the COVID-19 cases uh, are occurring. You know, in, in one quote, the president was quoted as saying, and this is direct quote, the number of China virus cases goes up because of great testing, while the number of deaths mortality rate goes way down. Uh, Trump posted that in his Twitter account last Thursday. And, you know, he has made that statement time and time again that we have more COVID cases because we have more testing. And that is not only scientifically invalid, but it is factually untrue. Testing does not create coronavirus cases. Testing is how we identify who is infected, how we can then do contact tracing or or other means to find out who they've been in contact to, to find how far the disease has spread. And yes, when we test more, more cases are going to be reported. However, they are not being caused by the testing, unlike uh, the message that the president continues to hand out time and time again. So, you know, we've, we've got a, a lot of road yet to cover with this disease. And, you know, we really need to take a look as, as a country, as an electorate, We need to take a look at how our elected officials have handled this disease. And that gets us to um, the question that I want to pose. And I'm going to uh, post a question on my Twitter feed and on my Facebook page. And basically, I'm looking to do an informal email survey of what we think, what you think, about the administration and the job they're doing. And basically the question that is going to be posed, should the administration or should not the administration be hired for another term based on their performance with the coronavirus COVID-19? So I'm gonna post that question and I'm gonna include the link to the email account for the show, which is, as I said earlier, it's Fired Up Radio at yahoo.com. What I want to get is I want your feedback. I want to hear from you with factual statements as to why this administration deserves another term or why they do not. Now, please don't give me campaign slogans. Please don't tell me to, you know, cuz he's making America great again. I don't that yeah. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear what actually has he done or has he not done that earns him the, the right to be hired as president and earns Congress and the Senate the right to return to their seats in the November election. So, you know, if you want to reply back, I will review each reply and we'll, we'll dive into them on subsequent shows. Uh, depending on how the response level goes, it, it may you know, span across you know, more than just one show. And I hope it does. I want to get a wide and, and, and heavy feedback on this. So again, the question is, should the uh, administration 
be hired for another term based on their performance with the coronavirus COVID-19. And you send your reply to firedupradio at yahoo.com. So I look forward to seeing your responses. I will read them all and I will, you know, fact check and we will discuss the answers that come back from as many of you as we can you know, in our next show and maybe subsequent shows after that, depending on how many responses I get. And I look forward to seeing what you think uh, about the performance of our government with this crisis. So there you have it. FiredUpRadio at Yahoo.com. Send your replies to the email question. Should we give the administration another uh, term as our leaders based on how they have done with the coronavirus uh, situation. So let's take our break here. We'll be right back in a moment. You're listening to Fired Up Radio. This is Steve. We're right here on WJMSRadio.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. And we're back. We're back here on Fired Up. This is Steve. I'm your host. And we're picking up where we left off, uh, talking about how the administration has handled the COVID crisis here in this country and some other things. But uh, let me be fair and say that the Democrats are not innocent in this process either. Uh, you know, the, the Democratic Party has played it somewhat safe. They have... Uh, you know, not exercised their abilities to the full extent that they could have, in my opinion. And, you know, it, it's created some issues where the administration has had kind of a free hand to do what they want 
uh, with regard to how this country responds to the COVID Corona-19 problem that we have. Um, you know, it's, it's clear that, you know, the role of the party out of power is to try and get legislation, get laws passed uh, that reflect their values by using their votes and their lobby within the, the Congress and the Senate to, to achieve the ends that, you know, their constituents want to see. And uh, for the most part, the Democratic Party under Nancy Pelosi has really kind of not played as hard a game as they could have. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, they do have uh, the votes in the House to pass legislation bills, and they have been doing that, to be fair to them. Uh, obviously, these bills, when they come to the Senate, have run into the uh, Republican-controlled Senate, and Mitch McConnell has, as he self-proclaims, the Grim Reaper. And, you know, this has created a situation where the message that's coming out of Washington to the rest of the country is one of confusion and disarray and really uh, has led to more people dying than should have. There have been several reports out of the medical and scientific community that says that if the administration had acted earlier, even by as short a time as a few weeks, uh, as many as 30 to 50,000 people that have died might not have died as they would have been identified and received treatment earlier in the process. And thereby, you know, comes in the, the problem that we have with our current elected officials. And we as, you know, the citizens, the people that elect and send them to office, we need to make sure that we are paying attention, that we, we see these problems, that we are communicating to our elected officials, both at the federal and the state level, and really let them know in no uncertain terms what we need from them in order to help protect us from this pandemic. You know, it, it's and it's it's showing up, you know, as far as the administration goes in the polls that have come out uh, in recent weeks. Uh, there was a uh, an article that came out of uh, Forbes magazine on the 28th of June, and it shows a pretty consistent uh, negative re reaction to how, you know, President Trump and the the Republicans in control uh, have been handling this disease and you know overwhelmingly the numbers are you know not favorable to the Republicans uh, with with regard to COVID-19. Uh, let me give you a few examples that came out of this article and again this was in Forbes uh, it was published on June 28th and came to me across the uh, online feed 62 percent in a CBS poll said they think things are going badly for the U.S. in the efforts to deal with the outbreak. And that increase in the, the negative feeling is up from 57% just earlier in the month. Um, another element they report is that 85% also say COVID-19 testing is important to contain the virus, despite Trump falsely claiming that increased testing leads to surges of the virus. Uh, openly musing about slowing down testing and has administration pulling federal funding for over a dozen local testing sites. Uh, this is important to, to take note of, and we mentioned in the prior segment, uh, testing in and of itself does not create 
the COVID illness. Uh, all testing does is allow us to identify where the illness is, is spiking and help us to marshal the resources we need into that area to help deal with it. So the, the claim from you know, Donald Trump and the Republicans that more testing leads to more uh, COVID-19 illness isn't correct. 72% of, um, of Americans said that the Trump administration was unprepared to deal with the outbreak, while just 28% of the Americans said it was prepared. Now, you know, that's a huge number. And it, it, it's saying to, to the, the politicians that the country as a majority, an overwhelming majority at 72%, uh, think that they have not done everything that they could or everything that they should be doing in order to combat this disease and help us to uh, get it under control and manageable. And another poll uh, related to a tangential matter uh, with regard to the uh, George Floyd uh, killing at the hands of police, 59%, according to a CBS poll, say they disapprove of Trump's response, which has primarily consisted of law enforcement crackdowns on protesters and denunciations of violence from left-wing and anarchist activists under the umbrella of Antifa. So the handling by the Trump administration of you know, this event, much like the handling of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, clearly shows where American people are not uh, approving of how they uh, are responding to these, these critical elements in our country right now. The, the article concludes with Trump's low marks on coronavirus are an indication of why he is faring so poorly in the polls against former Vice President Joe Biden. All of the nearly 20 swing state polls released on Thursday showed Biden leading even typically red states like Texas, Georgia, and Arizona. And rather to, you know, make any adjustments to their operation in, in dealing with these crises and perhaps turning public opinion more to their favor, uh, the, the president and the administration have fallen back on their tactic of distract, you know, divert, and divide uh, by you know, doing some other things that really just don't deal directly with COVID-19 and just continuing to put forward, you know, falsehoods and mistruths and, and so forth in addressing these issues to the American public. I went online and did some fact-checking and, you know, in, in the weeks since the COVID-19 crisis has uh, hit this country. Um, the, the CNN politics and fact check have all identified that the, the president has you know, lied or told mistruths a total of 600 plus times in the past you know, 15, 16 weeks uh, that we've been under the, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, a couple of the elements that have shown up, and this is from CNN Politics, um, and I'll give you a few of those. Coronavirus supplies, you know, the stockpile of ventilators. In early March and, you know, late February, Trump was saying that, number one, 
the number and quality of the ventilators that had been supplied from the previous administration uh, was not sufficient and many of them were in fact not working. Uh, it's not true that the Trump administration was left with no ventilators or entirely empty shells of other supplies. While, and this is the fact check. While the exact number of ventilators in the national stockpile at the time of Trump's inauguration in 2017 is not known, one expert on respiratory care says thousands of ventilators were purchased for the stockpile during the Obama administration and were not used before Trump took office. In addition, journalists personally saw ventilators in the stockpile when they visited facilities back in 2016. Uh, Factcheck.org has noted while the stockpile that did have depleted stocks of some supplies like masks, there were significant stores of other items. So by not giving us, you know, the, the straight story, they being the administration, are really, you know, trying to divert attention from, you know, what is out there. And they are, in fact, telling falsehoods about the situation on the ground uh, in order to bolster their own position. In other fact checks, uh, it was fact checked about the comments that President Trump made about using disaffectant uh, within the human body to kill the virus. And, you know, his response was that it was a sarcastic comment that he made to uh, members of the press just to see how they would relax, how they would react, rather. Uh, and, and quote, it says, that was done in the form of a sarcastic question to the reporters when a reporter noted that he asked his medical experts to look into it. Trump responded, no, 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 to look at whether or not sun and disinfectant on the hands, but whether or not the sun can help us. And that came out uh, in April. Trump was not being, according to the fact check, Trump was not being sarcastic when he raised the possibility of injecting disinfectant disinfectant. There was simply no indication that he was being anything less than serious. He was also wrong when he denied he had asked the medical experts to check the idea of disinfectant injections. He was looking at them, not reporters at the time. So he's not doing us any big favors by stretching the truth or bending the truth or absolutely breaking the truth going forward. And again, as you know the people who send politicians to office these kinds of things should serve as some level of red flag in how we assess the performance of our elected officials in regard to these crises and finally the the last one that i will give you here uh deals with hydroxychloroquine and you know as as you've all heard if you've been following the news uh, Donald Trump actually was taking hydroxychloroquine uh, for a while, even though there was no medical proof that it actually was effective or had uh, any uh, long-term abilities in, in relieving symptoms or treating the disease. Uh, he also said six times that we know the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine is safe for use, for the coronavirus or that we know it doesn't kill people because it has previ previously been used for other illnesses. 
and the fact check shows that it's not true that we know hydroxychloroquine can safely be used by coronavirus patients because it had previously been used on other ailments or even that we know it will not cause death in coronavirus patients. While data was still being gathered about the impact of the drug in coronavirus patients, it was already clear that it can pose risks. And as, as a further uh, rebuke of that statement, the FDA uh, earlier this month pulled hydroxychloroquine from its list of recommended medications for treatment of coronavirus across the board. So, you know, that one also proved to be uh, less than truthful. And again, I mentioned here that, you know, during these, these statements, the Democrats were less than forceful in, in doing what the party out of power uh, generally does, and that is speaking the truth to power by calling out the administration on these errors and offering the American people a more truthful explanation of what's going on. Now, you know, it, it, it could have been said by the Democrats, you know, in response to these untruths that were coming out of the administration that, you know, the, the responses that were provided were inadequate, that supplies were in fact in place and had been left by the previous Democratic administration, and that, you know, the, the medical evidence did not show that hydroxychloroquine actually was an effective uh, cure for the coronavirus. But none of that was said, and it was likely done at the uh, political expediency of, you know, not creating a, a controversy that could affect the November election. And, you know, I, I take great issue with that. One of the things that we need to have in place going forward and needs to be one of our goals as we look to elect new officials into our federal, state, and local governments is we need people who are going to speak the truth regardless of the consequence. And this notion that I'm not going to say anything because it could affect my chances at re-election when it clearly could be detrimental to the American public, that's got to change, and we've got to make that change happen. Uh, there is a lot of things going on where you know clear and definitive action needs to be taken, whether we're talking about the the coronavirus pandemic or the uh, increase in the number of uh, people of color being killed and hurt at the hands of law enforcement, or just the general way that law enforcement interacts with the public on a daily basis, as we've seen. Uh, and you know, I I'm calling on the the protesters to make sure that, you know, in addition to our, our marching campaign and our information campaigns, that we have an action component that addresses, you know, getting uh, the votes out there, electing people who think as we think and believe as we believe, and getting more responsive government in place. Uh, the, the administration does many things uh, that really show a lack of core concern for the people of this country, noted by the fact that uh, a, a pandemic that the administration minimized or denied or ignored for, you know, two and a half months uh, has ended up killing 125,000 people as of today and is on target if, if left unchecked or, you know, if the same process is followed 
and the spikes in cases that we're seeing keep continuing to get higher and higher, that could be at a quarter of a million people that have died from this disease uh, by the end of the year. And it's clear from all the evidence we get from the scientific and medical community that this need not be the case. That if we follow, you know, the guidelines that they've issued and, you know, do the things that we need to do and, you know, we can, in fact, trim that number back by many tens of thousands. So, you know, it, it, it's on us to do our part, but it's also on us to make sure that our elected officials are doing their part. You know, there's a lot of work to be done on all sides, and, you know, we need to make sure that we are, that we are carrying our water in terms of how we are responding to what our elected officials are doing, whether it's at your local level, your state level, or the federal level, and just make sure that the message is being communicated. With that in mind, um, I want to uh, wind down and, and, and spend the last segment uh, of this part of the show. I want to talk about something that came out on uh, June 25th, which was Thursday, uh, and this came out Thursday night. The Trump administration uh, submitted a request to the Supreme Court to overturn the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. And the article came out of Politico uh, that I saw first. And it talks about how the Trump administration on Thursday night urged the Supreme Court to strike down Obamacare, pushing forward with its attack on the health care law as millions of newly jobless Americans may come to depend on its coverage. The Justice Department, in a new legal brief, argues that Obamacare in its entirety became invalid when the previous Republican-led Congress axed the unpopular individual mandate penalty for uninsured people. The filing comes weeks after President Donald Trump confirmed his administration would continue to press for Obamacare's elimination, ignoring warnings from top aides about the risk of voter backlash in November. And quote, no further analysis is necessary. Once the individual mandate and the guaranteed issue and community rating provisions are invalidated, the remainder of the ACA cannot survive, uh, the Justice Department stated. The Trump-backed lawsuit brought by a group of Republican-led states puts at risk the health insurance for more than 20 million people covered by Obamacare, as well as insurance protections for people with pre-existing medical conditions. This would lead them. They would live their lives caught in a vice between Donald Trump's twin legacies, his failure to protect the American people from coronavirus and his heartless crusade to take health care protections away from American families. And that's a quote from former VP Joe Biden. Now, as you may recall, in 2018, it was this very issue, the Republican attacks on the Affordable Care Act, that led to the Democrats regaining control of the House of Representatives and, you know, basically putting in place uh, the administration we have now. And in addition, powerful health industry groups have also rallied to defend the law, which has largely boosted their profits, as they also try to fend off the left's push for Medicare for All, which they don't approve of, and other broader expansions of government-backed coverage. Uh, the president has insisted that his predecessor's legislative achievement must be overturned, uh, despite the public health emergency. Shortly after COVID-19 emerged, 
he refused to reopen the law's health insurance marketplace to make it easier for uninsured people to get coverage, despite pleas from Democrats and some moderate Republicans. What we want to do, uh, quoting President Trump, uh, what we want to do is terminate it and give health care. Trump said in the Oval Office last month when he announced his administration would continue battling Obamacare in court. We'll have great health care, including pre-existing conditions, close quote. However, Republicans haven't agreed on a replacement since the repeal effort fell short and previous GOP plans would have weakened robust Obamacare protections, barring insurers from charging more or denying coverage based on a patient's medical history. Administration health officials have also said they won't, they won't push forward an alternative plan unless the Supreme Court strikes down Obamacare. The Supreme Court, which upheld the health care law in the two previous major challenges, will hear the lawsuit this fall, but it's unlikely to issue a decision before the November 3rd elections. Some Republicans are fearing the lawsuit could cost them at the ballot, given the party's failure to agree on an Obamacare replacement. The administration's legal strategy has split top aides, with some seeing the lawsuit as Trump's last chance to make good on his pledge to uproot Obamacare, but two prominent cabinet members, Attorney General Bill Barr and Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, both opposed the administration's decision to fully back the lawsuit. Barr last month unsuccessfully tried to convince the White House to soften its legal attack on Obamacare because of the pandemic. The lawsuit, which was filed by red states over two years ago, was initially seen as a long shot but it gained momentum after a conservative federal judge in Texas ruled in the state's favor. The Trump administration had originally asked the courts to strike just the law's insurance protection before broadening its legal attack last year following the Texas judge's ruling. So, you know, this new attack on the Affordable Care Act coming in the form of this request to the Supreme Court to overturn the entirety of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare really just augments the position that opponents are taking that it shows just how little the administration cares about the general population given the fact that 125,000 people uh, have lost their lives to the COVID-19 crisis and the elimination of the Affordable Care Act would pull 20 to 25 million people off of the insured roles at the time when insurance coverage is needed the most. So, you know, just more ammunition in the fire as to why we as the people who cast the ballots to put these people into office, why we need to be activists in our registrations to vote and getting out to vote once that happens and why and leads into Uh, our call to action, which in addition to our normal (laughs) every week calls to action of, you know, registering to vote and making sure that your voice is heard and communicating with your elected officials. Now we need to make sure that, you know, we are taking the activism that we see in the streets from the protest movements and move them into communications mode where we are reaching out and letting our elected officials know whether they are Republican or Democrat 
that you know this lawsuit and overturning Obamacare is something that will not stand, that we don't want this to happen. In addition, we need to make sure that we are communicating with them that they need to do more, not less, in defense of the, pop, of the public against the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic that we are going through. The idea that just allowing the governors to open states, you know, based on, you know, shaky decision making at best and purely erroneous decision making at worst is something that we, the voters, will not tolerate. So, you know, the the call is out. Let's make sure that we are doing everything that we need to do to make sure that we get to the polls on Election Day and make our voices heard. Now, one additional thing to make sure we add to our call to action is you should plan strategically to think that the COVID-19 virus is going to resurface as we get into fall and make getting to polling places to vote in person even more of a risky proposition. So check with your states. Find out where they stand on voter registration and absentee balloting and get your request in for your absentee ballot early. Get your ballot submitted early so that you're sure that it arrives on the day that it's due. And let's make sure that we get out there and get the action that we want to happen happening. Because remember, we elect them. It's not the other way around. So with that being said, We will uh, wrap up our show for today. I want to thank you all for listening, as always. I appreciate it. Reminder, we have our survey question going out as to, you know, should or should not the administration and current elected officials be given a new shot at their posts for another four years or whatever their term might be. So if you want to respond to that, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com and we will read the results and and dissect them in upcoming shows next week and beyond, depending on how many results we get. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Fired Up. This is Steve. We look forward to talking to you again in seven days. Stay safe, everybody. Wherever you stand, calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.